Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup episode 67 for the week ending Monday, July 25th, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasugu. Thanks for listening in. Later on in today's episode, you'll hear me speaking to Frank Shooter, the former retail product and marketing MD of South Africa's largest life insurer, Liberty. He left them to found a startup called MobiLife, which is Africa's first 100% mobile insurance offering that aims to transform microinsurance in South Africa. But before we get to that, we'll cover the week's news headlines, which include Facebook's internet drone taking flight, Kenya's Teams cable continuing to remain offline, and Africa's solar lighting market being expected to grow $1.4 billion by 2024. That's all coming up, but do remember that if you've missed any of our past episodes, you can catch up anytime you like. Just click through to africantechroundup.com. Also, we love to hear from you, so as always, do give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup, or if you like, drop us a post on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. If you'd like to contribute to the show, you can write us an email or send us an audio note via hello at africantechroundup.com. Now, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. FreshBooks is offering you a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. So go on and try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. Well, for now, it's on to this week's news. First up, according to a new research report by Global Market Insights, an estimated 590 million Africans have no access to electricity, and this includes over 130 million people living in urban areas. Now, that really puts into perspective what a luxury electricity continues to be for many Africans, to say nothing of regular and reliable internet access. Now, it turns out that while the people cited in this research uh, typically depend on conventional light sources, such as kerosene or paraffin lamps and candles, their growing awareness of alternatives is leading them to replace those things with solar lights. This is a trend that's expected to boost sales of residential off-grid solar lighting products. Now, given that most of Africa is blessed with up to 300 days of sunshine a year, solar power is no doubt a sensible energy option for providing affordable and clean electricity, not just in rural Africa, but in urban areas as well. Now, companies like Angaza, as well as Mcopa Solar and others, are no doubt banking on the continent's growing demand for electricity to drive the growth of demand for off-grid solar products. Now, they're all currently looking for innovative ways to package and market pay-as-you-go access to things like solar lanterns and solar home systems to light up the continent. It's definitely a trend that we're a fan of, and uh, here's to hoping more of the continent lights up sooner rather than later. To Kenya next, where the East African Marine System Cable, also known as the Teams Cable, is said to be undergoing scheduled preventative maintenance work. The interruption to services, which began on July the 20th, is said to be concluded on the 20th of July, which is sometime this week. Now, Teams is a 5,000-kilometer fiber optic undersea cable that serves Kenya's national fiber backbone network, supplying bandwidth to pretty much every ISP in Kenya. 
meaning that Kenyans who enjoy some of the most reliable web access and fastest internet speeds on the continent will continue to experience some major downtime. Now, the outage is projected to cost the country about $3 million US dollars, excluding the loss of business as a result of the service loss. It's also said that the maintenance job is aimed at enhancing the security of the cable at UAE offshore against anchoring ships and external aggression presumably all the nasty trends around terrorism around the world, and certainly Kenya being one of the countries on the continent that has faced uh, the sort of aggression of late, uh, would probably be quite keen to make sure that uh, their interests as far as uh, undersea cables are quite secure. Now, if you're one of our Kenyan listeners, do give us a sense of how bad this outage has been so far. Uh, here's to hoping that connectivity is at least good enough to download or stream this podcast. Uh, do send us a tweet at African Roundup and tell us all about it. Now, staying with news out of Kenya, for about $2.96 every year, Kenyans can now use their mobile devices as a virtual post office box. Now, the Postal Corporation of Kenya says that its new M-Post service will be able to link a customer's physical post box with a virtual address, in this case, a phone number which will be sent a notification whenever a person receives snail mail. Now, users can also get mail delivered to their physical location instead of going to the post office, something that should bypass Nairobi's lack of proper physical addressing. This is great. I mean, this is two weeks in a row of interesting innovation announced by the Post Corporation of Kenya. If they keep this up, they will no doubt be the envy of the sub-Saharan region. I know that for one, the embattled South African Postal Service will be looking to emulate some of these ideas once it overcomes the numerous administrative and operational challenges it's faced of late. Uh, well done to you once again, Post Corporation of Kenya. To Nigeria now, where 10 early-stage businesses have been accepted into the first cohort of the She Leads Africa Accelerator Program. Now, the three-month accelerator program is designed to identify and support the next generation of Nigeria's brightest female entrepreneurs. This year saw more than 120 startups from across Nigeria apply, but only 10 made the cut and were selected based on their traction and progress in the market, as well as their management team and just generally how great their vision to grow and scale across Africa was. Now, the startups are set to spend the next three months working with mentors, investors, and potential partners. They'll also have the opportunity to pitch for modest seed investment uh, come demo day at the end of the program. Now, congratulations to all 10. Meanwhile, in South Africa, 16 women have graduated from Samsung's Women Technical Program, and they'll be joining the electronics manufacturer's repair department. Now, according to Samsung, the electronics repair industry is dominated by men, they say that it's actually something like 99% male-dominated. And so their Women Technical Program is an initiative uh, aiming to change this. The program was launched in November last year at the Samsung Engineering Academy in Erkurileni Gauteng in South Africa with 20 female students who had already undergone training on Samsung's various products and appliances. Now, the women are set to undergo a year of practical work to gain the, the experience they require. Following an assessment, they'll then be certified as technicians, after which they'll then be put to work fixing handheld devices as well as mobiles. Now, staying with grassroots level news, following the Speed Up Africa bootcamp hosted by Toro Orero and Tim Draper of Draper.Flow VC Fund in Ghana some weeks ago, Toro has announced that eight of the startups that were picked to attend have landed undisclosed investment sums from Draper Dark Flow, as well as direct investments made by himself as well as Tim Draper. Now, congratulations to Vugapay, Tress, Swiftly, Planet Sports, Drop Buddies, Nerlux, Very Campus, and Trending Show.
Great to see a lot of attention being given to the pipeline issues we tend to have in Africa's tech ecosystem. Uh, we definitely need to see a lot more of this if we're to expect a decent wave of startups to graduate into the league of those that are managing to land significant VC interest and investment in the future. To South Africa next, where it's good news for data users in that country, what with the country's largest telecoms provider, the government-owned Telcom, launching a host of 4G LTE data-led mobile packages today that, in my opinion, signal the beginning of the end of exorbitantly high data prices. Or at least a brother can hope, can't he? Look, Telcom is finally showing a clear understanding of consumer trends away from voice calling, and increasingly towards data consumption. And so this Free Me campaign is their latest bid to improve the paltry 2.6% market share they currently own uh, of the mobile market in South Africa. All Free Me packages, even the entry-level option, which will cost just under $7 per month, includes one gig of data and free text, as well as free on-network calls to telecom fixed lines and mobile numbers. They'll be capping that to about 3,000 minutes a month. There are several other packages which include all the aforementioned benefits plus data for between around $10.40 per month, which will come with about 2 gigs of data, up to just under $70 a month if you want unlimited data with your deal. Now, be sure to check out the fine print for terms and conditions for each package before you buy, uh, so you know what to expect. But I can tell you this, Telcom is definitely leaving Vodacom and MTN high and dry in as far as their opposition to OTT services like WhatsApp. Telcom will now zero-rate messaging and voice over IP calls in WhatsApp, BlackBerry Messenger, and Viber on these new plans for both contract and prepaid users. They also plan to add Skype and FaceTime zero rating in due course. They're working on the technical aspects of doing that. Now, we do know that the data wars in Nigeria are well and truly underway, but Telcom has certainly taken that fight within the South African market to a whole new level with this announcement. To be fair, as far as the whole zero rating of OTTs is concerned, I guess we have C to thank uh, for starting to cozy up to the likes of WhatsApp long before the other mobile telcos were even willing to be in the same room, much less partner with them. So exciting times. It now remains to be seen how Cell C, MTN and Vodacom will respond to this announcement. They must be feverishly plotting major announcements of their own. Uh, we do want to hear from you, South Africa. Is this new bouquet of offerings from Telcom enough to convince you to dump the network you're currently with, give us a shout on Twitter at African Roundup. Finally, Facebook is one step closer to providing web access, or should I say Facebook internet, take it how you like it, to 4 billion people on earth that do not yet have access to the web. Late last week, Facebook's Connectivity Lab announced that they had completed the first full-scale test flight of Aquila. Now, you remember Aquila, the solar-powered airplane that Facebook announced months ago or they'd be building to soar higher than commercial jets and beam signal into hard-to-reach places around the world. Now, you'll recall that the craft is being designed to be able to circle a region of up to 60 miles in diameter, beaming connectivity down from an altitude of more than 60,000 feet using laser communications and millimeter wave systems, all while flying for up to three months at a time while consuming only 5,000 watts. That's about the same amount as a microwave oven. So this functional check was a big deal for Facebook. Uh, they did fly the craft at low altitude. It was so successful, though, that they ended up flying Aquila three times longer uh, than originally planned, uh, 19 minutes or so altogether. They were able to verify several performance issues uh, and, and components, aerodynamics, batteries, stuff like that. 
And in future tests, they plan to fly a killer faster, higher, and of course, longer, uh, eventually taking it above 60,000 feet. Uh, but don't check the skies just yet, Africa. Um, that won't be happening tomorrow, uh, but certainly sooner than some of us may have thought, given we thought perhaps this craft would only come out in another two or three years. So well done to the folks at Facebook. Um, I'm not going to go into net neutrality issues on this one. I'm just going to give it up to them for doing uh, something that clearly hasn't been done before. It does remain to be seen, though, what sort of social political issues are bound to be raised when Facebook eventually is able to come good on their promise to beam internet access into parts of the world that are currently unreached. We'll be keeping a close eye on that for you. Now, that's the week's headlines. I'm about to play a snippet from a conversation I had with Frank Shooter. Now, he's the former retail product and marketing managing director of South Africa's largest life insurer, Liberty. In a gutsy move, he left his cushy gig there to found a startup called MobiLife, which is Africa's first 100% mobile insurance offering that aims to transform microinsurance in that country. Now, I asked him what would possess him to take on massive incumbents in what's a fiercely competitive multi-billion dollar market. Take a listen. Frank Schuter, Chief Executive at MobiLife. Uh, what would possess you to leave South Africa's largest insurer, by some assured, I believe, um, a cushy position there, to start this business? Well, yeah, after nearly 25 years in the life insurance industry, I'm a believer in life insurance. I've seen the tremendous good that proper insurance cover can do for families. But I've also seen many of the problems, and I think uh, particularly the insurance industry is not doing a good job of serving lower-income consumers in South Africa. And that's an opportunity I identified, and so we at Mobilife, we're bringing a whole range of innovations to the market with one purpose. We want to deliver better outcomes to customers at the lower end of the economic scale. What does that translate to in practical terms? What have you identified as pain points for that market that, you know, that you've found haven't been serviced, had, you found the bigger players aren't servicing uh, adequately? Okay, so I think there are a couple of, as you say, pain points that I really can identify. The first thing is, do you know that in South Africa every year, the insurance industry cancels more than 6 million life cover policies? These no, I didn't actually know that. Uh, but I would have thought that comes with the, with the, with the territory. Is that, a, is that number unusually high? Six million. I think think of six million customers that have been paying premiums for months or years and now have their policy cancelled that they'll never get a cent of value out of that policy. That for me is a terrible outcome. And the problem is that the policies are too inflexible. You have to pay your premium every month. The moment you skip more than one, the company will typically uh, lapse or cancel your policy. And I just think the economic reality, if you somebody earning three or four thousand rand a month, your reality is some months life happens and you just don't have cash to pay your insurance. And I believe you shouldn't lose your policy whenever that happens. I imagine, though, that's a problem if you care to, to care about it, uh, except um, I, I don't imagine in a business environment that, you know, in a for-profit environment, that would be a problem at all. Wouldn't that be good news? Well, I, I think this whole issue of lapsing is really an outcome of the uh, established insurance model, which is uh, uh, largely intermediary-driven. So intermediaries go out there and sell a large number of insurance policies every year. And, of course, they earn a, an upfront commission for, for doing that, which is fair enough. But that means that when the customer stops paying for a month or two, that you have to lapse that policy to try and recoup those costs. 
So it's really a function of an old-fashioned distribution model that is giving rise to these poor customer outcomes. And so at Mobilife, we've said, let's use the power of the smartphone in your pocket to make life insurance cheaper, easier to access, and a hell of a lot more flexible. At Mobilife, we will never cancel your policy if you skip a premium. In fact, even if you skip 11 premiums in a row, we will never cancel your policy due to the non-payment of a premium. And now we're going to get back to how you do that because, and that's that's a question I'm going to ask mostly for my wife and her curiosity given her actuarial background, but we'll get back to that. I'm more interested initially to talk about the fact that you've chosen to branch out on your own on a tech play, um, which is really the interest, uh, my interest specific to this interview. Um, tell me the thought process around identifying, you know, uh, uh, what's essentially a technological play in this space in order to launch your solution yeah right i mean i did a lot of reading and research for a good few months before i decided to make the move and the easiest way i find of explaining it is think think of the phone you had in your pocket 10 years ago and think what you could do with that phone compare that to the phone that you have today and what you're doing with it and imagine in 10 years time the way that we as consumers are going to be interacting with our banks, with our insurance companies, with you know, business at large is dramatically going to change. We are already changing our, our, our purchasing uh, behaviors. And so really, you know, I think that smartphones are just going to fundamentally change the world. And companies that are not adapting their business model to be relevant to consumers in that paradigm, in that environment, are going to fall by the wayside. We may be a little bit ahead of the curve because I think, you know, particularly lower income consumers might just now be getting their first smartphone. They don't immediately leap out of bed and and start using it to transact. But in 10 years time, I'll take a bet that they'll be doing that. I bet that you've clearly worked into the name of your business, MobiLife. Uh, you, beautiful segue uh, into my next question, which is really you've spoken to in some, in some you know, to some ex extent. Um how ready are people for this? And uh, I'd imagine that there are good things or things we've come to expect or find comfort in the, the, the existing models that exist. You know, the, the comfort of being able to pick up a phone and speak to your broker or, um, in, in, you know, uh, the, the way sort of typically uh, in a community setup, in a, in a low-income community setup, the word gets around where to get your insurance and from whom and that kind of thing. Those sort of things, you know, by the, by the looks of it, uh, given what I've seen so far, as far as your model's concerned, are out of the picture entirely. Uh, how long before people are comfortable with this? Look, I think any new brand in financial services will take a while to gain the uh, the trust and the knowledge of, of, of the marketplace out there. So we're certainly not naive to that. You know, customers, if they're going to be giving you their bank account details and their premiums, they want to be they want to know that they're dealing with a with a proper organisation. But just back to the sales model of, you know, being ready in digital. You know, for me, it's very much different strokes for different folks. If you're the kind of person that likes a 45-minute call center conversation, you know, with people and you like that kind of stuff, you know, you're not going to be our customer. There are many established businesses that you can deal with. But if you're the kind of person that at half past four in the, in the morning wants to do some business, wants to get some of the, the insurance uh, business done, we're going to be for you because we open 24-7, 365, very simple products, very simple processes, and a, a number of customers already today are responding to that proposition. It does mean we don't have the millions of options that you could get from you know, the larger insurance companies. We don't have all the bells and whistles and tweaks and features. 
but we do have amazing prices, amazing speed to transact. It takes you less than three minutes end to end to complete the sale of uh, the purchase of a policy, and and you can self-service it at any time, and we'll never lapse your policy. It's the most flexible insurance product ever designed in South Africa. Have you so far in the year? just over a year you've, you've been running, uh, managed to profile what your perfect customer looks like, perhaps from a, a demographics point of view. Uh, what are you finding so far? Who, who's, who's adopting the, this change most readily so far? Okay, so just a correction. I mean, we registered our company in 2015, but we actually only went to market in May of 2016. So it's still quite early doors for us. Uh, um, but we already see, starting to see some, some really interesting uh, perspectives. So we are seeing really mid-market consumers, uh, you know, typically young parents with families. They're the, the type of people that have the biggest need for insurance products. So people in their 30s and 40s uh, uh, are, are the guys responding the most, and, uh, uh, but across the country and, and different income segments. So certainly uh, we're finding quite broad appeal, and I think it's, again, it's the simplicity of, of dealing with us that actually appeals to different customers. We have a very simple product set. So we can't sell you 10 million rand a life cover right now. You know, we certainly are aiming for lower income uh, consumers uh, to start with. And so you went from being uh, the managing director of retail product and marketing at Liberty to this, to what, to running essentially a startup. I mean, talk me through some of the, the, the stark differences uh, of, the, of your role in, in a major corporate uh, to to running a startup and and what's what are some of the mindset adjustments you needed to make in order to to bridge the gap? So so look, Liberty is a great company. I had a great uh, career there. But when you get into senior leadership uh, positions in a large corporate, you tend to spend most of your time in meetings trying to find agreement around a strategy or a, dis a decision, and then trying to mobilize hundreds of thousands of people to actually execute on a particular uh, piece of strategy. So a lot of time is spent communicating, meeting with people, resolving conflict, etc. And, you know, that's, that's very important work, but it does take you a little bit away from the coalface of actually dealing with customers and actually resolving problems yourself. And now being in a startup where, you know, we're a small team as we, as we get going, I'm having a lot of fun because I get to innovate the products. I get to, you know, have customer experience design sessions where we're actually debating, you know, how should we do this? How should we do that to deliver a bit better customer outcome at, at every turn? And, and so I'm loving that. I'm an innovator at heart. And I'm finding that being a lot closer to actually um, making those decisions is, is really good fun. But, of course, we don't have the, uh, the resources from a people or a financial perspective. And that also means we've got to be very creative in the way that, for instance, we're going to market. We simply don't have millions and millions and millions to go on television and radio, etc. So we've got to find very non-traditional ways of getting our message and our brand out there. And so anything you miss from, from you know, working for a large financial institution, aside from you know, the massive budgets, what, what would you say if you could, if there's one thing you could steal from, from your previous role in terms of a resource or, or an ac access to this or access to that, what's the one thing you take from, you, from, from the world you left behind? Look, I'm really loving the life of an entrepreneur, so, so I wouldn't go back for anything. But I think that um, if there was one thing that, that I would like, it's, it's for instance, the, the access to if you need a legal opinion, while well, you've got a team of lawyers that can apply their mind and come back to you with a professional opinion. You know, whereas here, if I need to work out uh, what the act says, well, then it's on a Tuesday night. You get out the act and you spend a couple of hours reading it. 
So you don't have the ability to leverage other skills and expertise to the same extent that you would in a, in a large corporate. And, and that just means that, that it takes a little bit more time sometimes to, to, to get to the bottom of things. So let's talk about the nuts and bolts of the products you've brought to market and the way you've gone about doing that from an actuarial point of view. How on earth are you making it? Um, how, how on earth are you making uh, uh, gains on allowing people to lapse on their policies? Let's start with that. So customers never, well, customers can choose to lapse their policies, of course, at any time. We will never lapse theirs. But people always ask me, how does this actually work? And again, back to the numbers at a, at a big picture. So if we look at, at life insurance policies, the SA industry issues about 7.5 million new policies a year and cancels or lapses about 6 million policies a year. So there's a huge amount of turnover. And think of all the money that is being spent in acquiring those 7.5 million policies. And what actually happens, we've done research on this, this previously, is that a customer will buy your funeral plan and they like the brand, they like the company, they like the funeral plan, they pay the premiums for three or six months. Then real life happens to them. Their mother gets sick or they have to travel or something like that. And for a month or two, they simply don't have money. Now, they still want the policy. They still need the cover, but they simply don't have money. And so the policy gets lapsed. What happens three months later? That same customer goes and buys a new policy, maybe from the original company, maybe from a different company, and the whole process starts all over again. So we just kind of said, guys, Take a step back and just think about this. Isn't it better to retain that customer relationship? Even if you say, listen, I don't mind. Skip, pre skip your premiums for six months. I would rather retain the customer relationship. So when you have got money again, you simply pick up paying the premiums, your cover continues, and the customer never pays a penalty at MobiLife. And in the long run, that's just going to be so much of a smarter thing to do than to spend all this money reacquiring the same business year after year. I suppose there's also something to be said for the unique, uh, for for uh, using uh, mobile phones as a unique identifier um, that allows you to take some of those liberties as far, well, excuse the pun, that allows you to sort of <laughs> know where everyone is at uh, and, and maybe have the comfort of having data perhaps to, to, to give you the comfort of knowing that this person is not going to, you know, disappear off the face of the earth. Uh, strangely enough, Andile, that's quite a challenge because in South Africa, especially in the prepaid market, customers are changing their number two, three, four times a year. So it's actually quite difficult to keep track of a customer by assuming that, I mean, I may have had my mobile number for the last 10 or 20 years. But in general, customers are turning over their numbers very, very frequently. So that's actually quite a hindrance to our operating model. And so we've had to build ways of ensuring customer continuity, despite the fact that they might actually be changing their, their, their mobile number on, on several occasions. Isn't that an indictment on the system that's meant to, to give us all the, the sense of security? Uh, well, the RECA system in South Africa, I know Nigeria has gone through, well, continues to go through uh, um, a vi the very difficult process of registering all their SIMs. This issue is, is problematic in so many markets across the African continent. It, it, it sounds flawed. To, uh, well, I would have thought if it was working as well as it should, you wouldn't have this problem. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the reality is customers do what is easiest and best for them to do. And I think, again, particularly in credit active markets, if you, for instance, if you've taken a loan or uh, if you start being hounded by somebody that's looking for you to pay your area premiums or whatever the case might be, you know what, it's just easier for you to go and buy a new SIM card and actually get a new number. 
than to actually deal sometimes with the legacy that you may have created with the previous number. So again, I think you know customers are behaving perfectly rationally, and it's actually simply it's more convenient for them to change their number necessarily than to deal with some of the challenges that they've got based on other decisions that they that they may have made. So that's the reality. Customers are not going to change that behavior. We have to adapt our business models to actually allow them to continue doing what they want to do and still be able to serve them in, in that way. And so the back end of this platform, is this a proprietary uh, is this a proprietary platform that you've built? And I ask because how how worried are you that, you know, the incumbents could could clone this idea and and roll out uh, and you know and basically crush you guys. Yeah, um, uh, people always say, "Oh, you have got to protect your ideas," you know, because everybody will will copy them. Um, so to answer your question, um, our operating model is being patched together from a couple of platforms that are available. So uh, long-term insurance platforms that are that are provided, as well as, for instance, the ability to pay a benefit by way of a grocery voucher. So there's a company in the Cape called The Wire Group, as an example, that allows the issue of digital vouchers that can be redeemed at any of the national grocery chains. So we partner with them so that we can pay the benefit, for instance, on our food insurance product as a weekly grocery voucher rather than upfront, upfront cash. So I think that we are really leveraging cutting-edge technology platforms that are available these, these days. And the key difference is that the cost of our operating model enables us to offer insurance products at kind of unmatched prices. I mean, we, uh, in July this year, will be launching an insurance product for nine rand ninety-nine a month. That's less than a dollar, or like uh, what sixty cents or something. I mean, that's that's less than a th- than a cool drink a month. Um, so really, by having a super low cost operating model with the customer self-service paradigm, where customers will self-purchase and self-service their products, we can massively leverage the scale and capability of the system and pass that benefit back to customers. I mean, I wanted to get back to one of the second ways in which I believe the industry is not serving customers. If you compare at this bottom end of the market, our financial services board actually published a report a while ago saying that if you compare the the claims paid at an industry level relative to the premiums that have been charged, customers are getting back about 20 cents to 25 cents in the rand. So 75 cents in the rand is being consumed in distribution costs, um, administration expenses, and profit margins. For me, that is just absolutely unsustainable. How can we be serving lower-income consumers if we're taking 75 cents in the rent? And so by developing a high-technology, low-cost operating model that is massively scalable, we are looking to more than double that benefit-payback ratio in, in the longer run, You know, once we, we establish a book of business. And what does that mean for customers? it means lower prices. That's why we can offer an uh, insurance product at 9 rand 99 a month. We can make money. Customers gr- get a great deal. And it's all enabled by, by the, the, the high technology uh, model that we've implemented. I'm sure you'll agree, though, that uh, by and large still on the continent, uh, access to the internet and certainly uh, you know, the use of smartphones is a luxury. It, it, and uh, listening to you speak, I'm wondering how much of a of a hurdle um, the literacy might be to or the lack of literacy might be to your to your business succeeding long term on the continent or in fact in the medium term on the continent yeah certainly um, in Africa and South Africa in particular access to the internet has been a challenge but it is changing quickly and rapidly 
So to give you some stats, um, in South Africa, more than 85% of access to the internet is via a mobile phone. And in South Africa now, about 25 million smartphones are, are in place. It's about 50% of the population now has a smartphone with the access to the internet. And that number is growing all the time. So again, in three years' time, I think um, uh, smartphones will be, will be ubiquitous. But data is still very expensive. Accessing the internet is still a challenge. Some uh, improvements are being put in place by government. Some municipalities are offering free Wi-Fi hotspots. There are a number of taxi ranks in, in, in South Africa where you get you know, 50 megabytes of, of free data a day. So we certainly are seeing a change there. And as I said earlier, you know, we may be a year or two ahead of that kind of wholesale change in customer behavior. But when that comes, and I fundamentally believe it is an inevit inevitable outcome, we will be there, we will have, will have been there for a couple of years, and with a relevant business offering that we believe will be very attractive to consumers when they are ready to, to transact online. Many thanks to Frank Shooter of MobiLife for chatting with me. What do you make of Frank and his team's disruptive aspirations? Do visit Moby.co.za, have a look around, and let us know if you agree with Frank's bullish assertion that MobiLife is bound to be how many of us will buy insurance in the future. On Twitter, we're at African Roundup, or drop us an email at hello at africantechroundup.com. And by the way, you'll find the full conversation I had with Frank Shooter pinned to the top of my Twitter page, at Masugu Andile. He shared many more interesting insights on his business, so do check it out. That's at M-A-S-U-K-U-A-N-D-I-L-E. That's me on Twitter. Once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. Now go ahead and find out what all the fuss is about and try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. That's the week's show, folks. Catch it again next week, Monday, on africantechroundup.com at 9 a.m. Central African Time. Can't wait. Uh, until then, though, I'm Andi Masugu. Do take it easy, Africa.